If you will, this morning, turn with me to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. I know what you might be thinking, and that is, why are we in Numbers? You know what I mean? I mean, what's in Numbers, right? I mean, there's nothing that's not boring uh, there, right? Uh, you know, if you've ever looked at Numbers, it's, it is a tough, tougher book to work through, but it's, uh, it's got some narrative in it that's pretty action-packed, I will say. However, there's something tucked in here in chapter 6 that I want you to, to hear this morning. It's actually probably the most famous blessing of all. You probably already know it. And so we're going to look this morning briefly at Numbers chapter 6. If you'll look along with me here, and if you need a Bible, there's one in the basket in front of you. It should be, and so you can reach there and, and join with us. Notice this, Numbers 6, and we'll start with verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put My name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. We've already sung Your Word. We've already spoken Your Word to each other. We have already prayed in Your Word this morning. And so now, Lord, in this reading and preaching, we ask that Your Spirit would be very present to us, that You would speak to our hearts things that we need to hear from You this morning, we pray in Your most holy name. Amen. If you've been with us at all for the past few weeks, you know that we are in a, in a series of sermons about holiness. Now, this series is not meant to be exhaustive. Uh, it always seems to, uh, you know, it's, there's one thing about a sermon, and that is it never ends. Now, I know sometimes it seems like it never ends, but, but it actually there is no true ending to a sermon. You just have to cut it off at some point because uh, there's always more to be said. But this morning, I want to look at something that Aaron has already introduced us to in his testimony, and that is the presence of God. The holy presence of God in us. It's somewhere where we actually left off last week by saying God moved around where He was located, if you will, in the Old Testament. He moved all over. He went from a tent to an actual temple, but then He went to the temple He really wanted to get to where we actually started in Genesis, and that was this temple. Your body is now the holy temple of of God. This is where he wants to dwell. This was always his plan. There was no plan B. He wants you. And he wants to be in you, to dwell in you, to literally tabernacle with us. And that is um that's pretty wild. I'll just be honest with you. I I don't, you know, again, I don't know all the world's religions, but I know this about the world's religions and that is their divine beings and gods are not concerned with becoming a human. People are always concerned about, you know, the other way around. But no, 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 the gods would never stoop to, you know, the human level. But this God does. He becomes one of us in order to suffer 
with us in order this week as we celebrate and remember to die for us on a cross, on a horrific execution tool created for death. He goes to the cross. He sets His face toward the cross. And He says this to His disciples. He says, If you would like to be My disciple, deny yourself, which is what Lent's all about, take up your cross, your execution tool, and follow Me. Those are tough words to swallow. We sometimes let them just sort of go in one ear and out the other. But the call to the cross is a, is a call to the electric chair. Have you ever gotten into somebody's face before? I mean like got up in their face, you know what I mean? As we say. Have you? You ever had one of these experiences where you just found yourself just nose to nose with somebody? I mean, some of you are like blood boiling already because you're just imagining that person again. I mean, we see it sometimes on TV, right? I mean, I've seen umpires. I used to be an umpire. And the coach will get right in. You know, Bobby Cox, one of my favorite you know, managers of all time. I mean, he, he, he had the record for most ejections in a, game, in a, in a season and, and in all seasons of any coach and, and manager. And um, he would get right in that umpire's face and they would just be, bah, 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 you know, spitting on each other and all that kind of stuff. You, you take in the whole person when that happens, don't you? <laughs> Breath and all, spitting all. All you can see is that face right in front of you. You know, fighters do that, don't they? Before they fight, they just get, I mean, no, even, even the promotion stuff is just boom, boom, boom. Just face to face, right? Yeah, I, uh, it happens to me from time to time as well. Actually, it happens almost on a weekly basis for me. You're thinking, man, this guy, he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty intense outside the walls of the church, huh? Um, well, welcome to my home. Uh, just, just come on over sometimes, and uh, and if you get out of line, I might just decide to get into your face because we got several people around there who decide to do some crazy, crazy things, and it takes me getting into their face to sort of snap them back into reality. You ever seen this happen? I mean, where kids just they, they, they for some reason, if you add more than one, they just get worked up. They just start start acting all crazy, out of character, even sometimes, and they just feed off of each other, and, and it just becomes a disaster. And I have to say, I have to say, Jackson, Jackson, Jackson. He's just or Baylor, Baylor, Bo, Bo, and, and they're just out of control. And I have to stop them, and I have to put my face right in their face. Well, why would I do that? It's because they can't see anything else when my big old head gets in their face. You see what I'm saying? I put my face into their face. I get down on their level and look them right into the eyes. And I actually tell them, I say, look at me. Look at me. And they don't want to do it. Their eyes are darting back and forth, you know, trying to find an escape. Is mama anywhere near? You know, what's everybody else doing? Well, I wonder if I can angle myself this way. Can I get away from this face, you know, that's just staring back? Not necessarily a happy face, you know, back at my face. And I get down on their level and I go nose to nose with these guys, you know. And it gets pretty intense sometimes, but they can hear me. When that happens, they can see me when that happens. And what ends up as the result of that is they settle down. They all of a sudden remember now where they are. I say, Baylor, do you understand? 
We are in a restaurant. Nobody wants to hear all your stuff. They don't. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. He was playing in the moment. You know what? I have found in my own life, maybe you found this too, that sometimes God needs to just get right in our face. Amen. You know what I mean? I mean, where we can't see anything but Him. Where we, our eyes are darting, trying to find an escape route, and there is not one. It's only Him. And He's right there. Nose to nose. Face to face. You know, the Scripture actually talks about this, doesn't it? The face of God. It actually mentions it more than our English translations let on. Notice this in this Arianic blessing, which is just a beautiful... I mean, this is just a beautiful passage. A beautiful three verses here that have been quoted many times, and you've heard them as well. This fascinating... Aaron, you'll remember, is the brother of Moses. He's also a Levite. They actually are both Levites. Uh, And so these brothers are going to end up leading Israel through all kinds of stuff. But before they really get started, God tells Moses, He says, Moses, I want you to say to Aaron this blessing. And this blessing has become our blessing. You know why? Because the Bible says that this is not the last priest or line of priests to come. Instead, it says that the church is to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Which means, we can take this blessing upon ourselves because we are all called to be priests. In other words, mediators between God and mankind. That's what the priest did. He mediated God to the people and the people to God. Now, there's a great high priest. Hebrews will tell us this, right? It's Jesus. He fulfills the priesthood. He does not abolish it, just like He doesn't abolish the law. Just like He doesn't abolish the temple. He just fulfills it with Himself. In other words, now He is the temple. Of God. He is the dwelling place for God. And now he is the high priest. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the law. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. He's better than the sacrifices, etc., etc. Hebrews will go on and on, waxing eloquently as it does it, and say, Jesus is better and he has the supremacy. This is good news. This is good news. Notice that three different times Yahweh is used. The Lord. Notice this. Yahweh. Verse 24. 25. Yahweh. 26. Yahweh. He could have just said it once. I think it's theological He says it three times. I don't think that's a mistake. Actually, in the Hebrew here, if you take out the three instances of Yahweh, you're left with 12 words in this blessing. I don't think that's by mistake. Twelve makes it into the Bible all over the place, doesn't it? Twelve tribes. Then the new Israel has twelve disciples. Yes. Yes, these things are not coincidence. They are by design. Notice how the blessing begins. This this, uh, 
blessing placed upon Aaron, but also subsequently even us. That is, the Lord bless you and keep you. What does it mean to be blessed? What is that term? We, this is actually one of these rare things where we actually use in the South the term blessed quite a bit. I mean, there's this lady at, at Calhoun that, that teaches there, and she often, I say, you know, how are you doing? And she says, I'm blessed. And I say, oh, amen, you know, fantastic. We also use it in, in a different way in the South, don't we? Oh, bless his heart. Bless him. In other words, let me translate for you non-Southerners, what an idiot. What a dummy. It's just the Southern hospitable way of saying dummy. Oh, bless him. Bless him. Bless him. Bless him. No, no. That's not what we mean or God means by blessing here. No, no, no. Instead, a blessing from God comes from His hand. But... The term here in Hebrew actually has the idea behind it. You know, Hebrew is, if you don't know, and I'm not, trust me, I'm saying it right now, I'm not an expert at Hebrew. But I count on experts that I trust and know personally. And they, here's what they tell me. That this term, bless, actually has the idea of getting down on one knee and presenting a gift. Kind of like you would do at a proposal. Or as the wise men did to Jesus. They presented their gifts to Him. But notice this. This is not saying that we get down on one knee and present the gift, but rather that God does. Now again, it just turns things on its head, doesn't it? From the way we would typically think about the divine, the holy. No, the holy one is down on His knees giving us gifts. What kind of image is that? Honestly, you know... (laughs) Again, you go back to, to looking at comparative religion. You look at Christianity compared to the other. They're all giving gifts to the gods and goddesses. What's happening in the Bible is God is getting down on one knee, humbling Himself and giving gifts to us. Blessing us. This term blessing also has the idea of happiness. This is what the Beatitudes actually are. So when you go from Hebrew to Greek, Then you get a different term. Same idea, blessing, but now happiness. In other words, you want to be happy? Then do the Beatitudes. Have you ever read them? We actually had a series of sermons on that. Wow, that really is turning things on. Go read them. Matthew 5, read the Beatitudes today. That's how you live a holy life. That's how you live a happy life. Because happiness and holiness go together. Keep you. The Lord bless you, now keep you. This has the idea of a shepherd. You ever notice how many times shepherds feature in the Bible? In particular, Jesus fulfills that role too, doesn't He? As the good shepherd. Actually, Israel's leaders were known as shepherds. And in the larger context of the ancient Near East, kings all over the place, not just in Israel, were known as shepherds. Shepherds of the sheep. And the Scripture actually talks about them being, held, uh, them being held accountable more so because of their position over others. Jesus fulfills it perfectly as the good shepherd. 
When I was in India, I'm surrounded by gods and goddesses. Literally, idols everywhere. I'm in a, I'm in a shop, right? And there's idols. I mean, there had to have been 200 idols before me. And I'm kind of looking through, and I can recognize some of them, you know, whatever. You don't care about their names. But, but I, I noticed them from Hinduism. And then all of a sudden, there's one idol that's there, and he's standing there, and he's holding a sheep with a staff. It was Jesus. Jesus and I, I named the picture in my head, Jesus among the gods. Here's all the other gods getting their own and doing their things and weapons of power, you know, tridents and, you know, swords and all the spears. Here's Jesus with a little lamb. He's the good shepherd, isn't he? Amen. That protects the sheep, that keeps the sheep. He can keep you. He has holding power, he has staying power. There is not anything that can separate us from His love. Notice next is this, the second stanza, the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. What a beautiful beautiful idea. His face to shine on you. I thought God was spirit which would mean He didn't have a face. Well, apparently, all three persons of the Trinity have face. That's part of what it means to be a person. And yet, not just this physical thing. You know, face really represents a lot, doesn't it? You ever notice that? I mean, you ever notice how important faces are? We're identified most by our face. I mean, you don't meet somebody and you look at their kneecap. Yeah, it's very very nice to meet you. No, it'd be, I'd be wanting to get out of that conversation quickly. No one has ever said something like this. I never forget an elbow. Nobody says that. No, we don't look at people. Elbow? No, no, no. I never forget a face, though. Faces are unique, aren't they? They tell a lot, don't they? Actually, if you ever take one of my classes at Calhoun, the class participation grade is not based on the quality or the quantity of your comments. Because normally they're not very qualitative or, you know, uh, many. Um, rather, yeah, some of, I actually have some former students in here, so I have to be careful, but the secret is this. The secret is actually in your face. This is what I tell them. I tell them this. You don't have to be a blabbermouth to get a good class participation grade. Just participate with your face. You ever seen somebody in class that's just not really there and they're there? I mean, they're off a million miles away. Your face really tells a long story, doesn't it? It tells really more than sometimes our words tell us, doesn't it? I mean, just by looking at people's response, you can see a lot in their face. And you know what? The Scripture says here that the Lord wants to shine His face upon us. Now this term, face, here, actually, as I said before, makes it into the Bible a lot more than the English translations that we read from actually indicate. Because every time the term presence is used in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when it says God's presence, every single time, the idea is God's face. 
So when God says, my presence is not going with you, Moses, any longer. I'm done with these people. Moses says, whoa, 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 whoa. If your presence doesn't go with us, I'm not going. And he begins to intercede for the people of Israel. He puts, again, himself as the mediator. This is our job in intercessory prayer, is to reach out to those people and connect them to God in prayer. This is exactly what Moses does. And he actually ends up asking God something else. Have you ever noticed this in in Exodus 33 and 34? He asks something really interesting from God. He says, Lord, I want to see you. I want to to see your face. Again, your presence, your glory is actually what he asks. And God says, okay, I'll show you my goodness. I love the way, little, little nuances of the words there. He says, but, here's the thing, if I show you my face, you're going to die. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you between a rock, the cleft of a rock, and actually that makes it in several Christian songs, and that's where that comes from. He says, I'm going to put you between these two rocks, and then I'm going to pass before you, but I'm going to have to just simply show you my back. Is okay, hey, you know, game on, you know what I mean? And so it says that the Lord passed before him. And we actually get a description of what God looked like. You know what it was? It wasn't Moses writing then saying, oh man, he had a ripped back. You know what I'm saying? I mean, those trapezius muscles were sick. You know what I no, it No, there's no description like that. It, he was in a tank top, you know. No, it wasn't. No, no, no. What? Instead, let me let me just simply read to you some of the language that's used in his description of what he saw. God first proclaimed his name, Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I am. I am. He actually says it twice. Then he says, "I'm merciful." Notice these words: "I'm gracious." I am slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love. In other words, hesed love, which is a covenantal term. And faithfulness. Keeping that steadfast love for thousands of generations of those who love me. And limiting iniquity to only two or three generations. It's a very beautiful passage on Him limiting sin in a family and Him abounding with grace in families that love Him. It's a very, very powerful thing. You want to turn your family around? Meet this one, and those blessings will flow down for thousands of generations. You have one bad part of the family, He's going to limit that to two or three generations. It's His grace. It's His grace that limits the effects of sin. (laughs) So, God shows him who he is, and the description is all about the character of God. You know, of course, Jesus had a face. Mary kissed this face. So did Judas. But we never get a description of his face. We don't know if he could grow a beard like I can, which is awful, which is why I never grow one, or like Paul can who grows the most robust one that that I've seen in a while. We don't get that description of Jesus, do we? Instead, 
It's all about His character. You see in a pattern here? It's about your character. If you want your face to be beautiful, no matter what you look like, then allow holiness into your life and it makes for an angelic face. A beautiful face. Not because of your features, but because of your character. That's what's going to stand for generations to come. Beauty fades. The Word of God in us lasts forever. One of the most beautiful faces of the 20th century was not a supermodel. Was not Madonna. Was not a buff guy. It was a lady who had wrinkles all over her face. Known as Mother Teresa. There was something more beautiful in that face than anything that could have been cropped on a computer screen or looked up there. There was something beautiful there because of the character behind that face. You can't really hide your face. People try to. It tells on us. More often than we even like to realize, it tells on us. Stop trying to hide like Adam and Eve did. Come to the light. Notice. Notice His face shining down on us and giving us His grace. And then lastly, the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and grant you or give you peace. You know what His countenance is? His face! Twice here, we're told God's face is toward us and His face is for us. Isn't it great when you go somewhere and you don't know anybody and all of a sudden you see a face you recognize? It's like, oh, good. Uh, you know, I've got a partner here you know, to, to relate to. Somebody that I know and love. I mean, this happens to me sometimes when I go places and I'm not expecting to see somebody. And all of a sudden, like, this happened yesterday. I went to a wedding and I, and I see different faces of some former students of mine. And I'm like, oh, it's just so good. Such a connecting, unifying, peaceful experience. And you know what? God's face is not only pointed at us, but He is for us. He's looking for us. He's shining down His light, His grace on us, and His countenance is toward us and for us. He likes us, and He wants to give us peace. He wants to make us happy, folks. This is the reason He did what He did. This week is tough. This week is tough for Jesus. It's, a very, it's His toughest week that you'll have in His earthly life. In 33 years, this is the toughest week. But you know what? He does it so that others might live. He suffers so that others might live. He's unhappy so that others might be happy. He goes to the cross and dies so that others might live. And then He calls us. He bids us. He beckons us. Implores us to come and follow Him. Because He knows that that's where true life is. 
Not in what we can make of ourselves, but what He can make in us by His grace, by His sanctifying power, by the way of the cross, where I die to myself and I live to Him and live for others, not myself. Maya Angelou, I love this. This is one of my actually all-time favorite quotes outside of Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. (laughs) At the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did. That's kind of depressing to me in a little bit, you know. I talk a lot, you know, just teaching and preaching. But you know what? That's not what people are going to take home. Notice what she says. They won't remember what you said or did. They will remember how you made them feel. Haven't you found that to be the case? That's why I oftentimes say it's more important not just to learn or to remember, but a personal encounter with Jesus. And He'll make you feel better than any drug, any bottle, any TV or device that we can come up with as humans, any idol that we can place before us. He will make us feel that we have the most abundant life possible because we do in Him. Only He can satisfy. Only He can fulfill. And you know what He calls us to do? He calls us to be the presence of God, the presence of Him in the world. To make others feel like He has made us feel. So let me just ask you a hard question. What do people feel when they're around you? What is it they take? Maybe you have the right words. Maybe you have the right teachings. Maybe you say the right things. You do the right things. But, what do they take from all that? Drudgery? Are you threatening? Angry? Sad? Embittered? Or joyful? Loving? Compassionate? Abounding? in steadfast love to others. I'm not looking at you. I'm looking in here. And asking the Spirit, in this last week of Lent, where we repent, where we look to the cross, what else do you want to take to the cross in my life in order to make me a vessel holy, a temple that is proper for your dwelling. I think the only appropriate thing for us to do with that kind of challenge is to cry, Hosanna. Save us. Hosanna. Hosanna. Say it with me. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, O Lord, we pray in Your name. Amen.